Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One decision I hope you'll make is to share this podcast with friends and family, if you enjoy your family. Our core goal is to reach and teach as many people as possible. In this episode, you know, there is a slowdown underway in the housing market, and the questions are difficult to answer from somebody who's a potential first-time home buyer potential renters. I'm going to fill you in, and this is going to be educated guest territory, not certain answers, because this is such a tough thing to talk about. And also, this is a weird warning I'm going to share with you about self-checkout coming up later. And I want to take a personal moment and just say happy birthday to my daughter, Steffi, who is 23 today. Happy birthday, Steffi. And loving her life in Southern California and uh, complaining about how much things cost, but she loves it so much. Well, and she's had good good training over the years. I'm sure she's she knows how to save money. You think so? Yeah, I think she's had a bit. Okay, we'll see. So I want to talk about the housing market and... You look at the price cuts in listings, asking prices that are happening in place after place around the country. There are certain cities that are seeing clear signs of having overshot with the run-up in housing prices. And uh, there's some in Idaho and Texas. There are scattered spots in the country where things just got way ahead of themselves with housing. And there's a buyer strike. And the buyer strike is widespread around the country. So the question is, what does that mean? Because anybody who was in the housing market 15 years ago completely has housing PTSD. I know PTSD is not supposed to be made light of, uh, so I'm trying to think of a different term for it. There, there's another term, generals fighting the last war, that there's this feeling of impending doom in a lot of people that home prices are going to repeat what happened 15 years ago, and it is not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. There will be spots that will see softness in pricing. Softness in pricing does not mean a marketplace collapse. It could mean that prices in areas that, that got too pumped up could fall 5 to 
if I was to put a number on it, just a guess of a number. Uh, And again, that's a guess because even people who are economists that work solely in the housing industry are trying to put numbers to this. But for the most part, we're not going to have any kind of collapse. No, let me say that differently. We're not going to have a collapse in the housing market. And there are two major factors. One, we have a shortage of housing in the United States today, not a surplus. Two, we did not have people who, so I'm going to give three. I just thought of a third one. You know, it's funny in TV, they'll say, say the four things, blah, blah, blah. And then I'll sell, tell seven or I'll tell two. It's just my mind doesn't think the way they want you to in TV. Anyway, let's go to the most important second factor. I'll stick with two. I was going to get into three and then I would say four and five and six. Okay. Mortgage rates were way, 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 way low. And now they're roughly twice the low point. All right. If I have a loan on a home, like Krista here at 1.875%, yep. 15-year fixed, mm-hmm. okay, she's not moving. Even if there was a house that she and her husband loved and they were like, wow, wouldn't it be great to live in that house and the price we could afford it? But we'd have to give up our 1.875%. Not going to happen. So the inventory of homes is going to remain tight and you're not going to have the velocity of the move market that there normally is. Oh, and there is one other factor, speaking of mortgages. 15 years ago, there were the loans that were made no matter what. As many as you wanted, no down payment, nothing. You buy as many houses as you wanted. No such thing happened this cycle. So we had a lot of speculative building, a lot of speculative purchasing with no skin in the game, no down payment, nothing. That was another factor that led to the collapse in housing prices 15 years ago. Nothing like that's going to happen this time. So yes, we may see some softness. We may see some price declines in a small number of markets that got really overheated, but the housing market is going to be fine, which means for buyers, this remains a very difficult time for you at the elevated interest rates. And so when I think this through, I think it makes the most sense now to wait till the Federal Reserve finishes its moves with interest rates, rebuilds credibility that inflation is under control because then mortgage rates will decline. The Federal Reserve does not control mortgage rates. Mortgage rates go to their own drummer, follow their own drummer. But when the Federal Reserve regains the public's confidence in the business sector, the financial sector, and with you and me as consumers, and we're not worried about inflation anymore, which will happen before inflation is completely solved. But once we realize that inflation is under control, those mortgage rates will start coming back down. And then you're going to have home prices that have not been escalating like they were. And you'll have lower mortgage rates. That will be the time to step in the market. 
for renters, this is going to remain a difficult time. You will have people who take homes that they have ultra-low mortgage rates on, like Krista has at your 1.75%. And even if she and her husband move, they're not going to sell that house. No way. Uh, we They're going to turn it. into a renter, rental property. You're going to have a lot of people who've locked in these ultra-low ongoing costs with homes that are going to help increase the housing supply available for rent because they're not going to give up that ultra-great loan. So it's going to be hard for renters for a while, but there are already reports that the rental market has started to soften in a number of markets in the United States, that the huge increases we've been seeing in rents are starting to moderate. And that is a natural process because we've been in an unnatural cycle with the big, big run-ups and costs to this point. Okay, we'll go to some questions now. This one's from Celeste in Pennsylvania. I need your advice on how to save money to buy a house while renting. For the past three years, I've lived in my own, and my complex raises its price 10% each year. I have a savings of $7,000 that I don't touch. I recently changed jobs, and because my schedule fluctuated this year, I wasn't able to save as much or really anything. In September, I'll have a regular set schedule plus overtime, but my dilemma is, how am I going to save while paying $995 in rent a month? I'd love to keep the $7,000 for a rainy day and maybe $5,000 for my house. I do have the option to move back in with my mom, but having the freedom for three years has spoiled me, and the drama I lived with while living with her I'd rather not. By the way, I'm a 31-year-old woman who's now a flight attendant. So, Celeste, people all over America, inquiring minds want to know, where are you finding apartment rent for $9.95? Because that's much lower than most people are experiencing around the country. Uh, What's the alternative so you can build up more savings so that you'll be able to do the down payment? I want to tell you, I'm really impressed with what you've already done with what you've been saving and the compromise versus moving back with mom, which obviously is not going to work well for you is to consider moving to a two bedroom apartment and having a roommate. You know, you travel 14 days a month, probably. So a lot of times whoever would be your roommate would have the place to themselves. And so you're a pretty attractive opportunity for somebody to be a roommate with because of that and it could lower your costs enough that you have extra money to save and would obviously be based on what you said a much better option than moving back home with mom this is from christine this was on instagram should you dispute your property tax assessment in this market since the housing market is softening so christine It doesn't matter what's going on with where prices are rocking a little, maybe moving down just a touch. You want to appeal your property tax assessment if you are being, in most jurisdictions, if you're being assessed higher than neighbors and similar homes, or if your taxing jurisdiction, your county or however it works in your state, has run the value up higher than what your home is really worth. And this is something that most people just say, oh, well, 
just going to pay whatever it is. I don't like the amount. That's not the way you should play this. And in many communities around the country, there are professional tax appeal firms that know how to come up with a proper value for your property and handle a tax appeal for you. The fees they charge generally are very small, and then they get a commission of the percent they save for you is how it typically works. But if your appraisal, your assessment is out of line, either the value they have or your value versus others, you almost certainly should be fighting and trying to get a lower assessed value. And this is from Tenzing in Colorado. Why does no one talk about mortgage recasting? Paying extra brings down the mortgage, but doesn't bring down monthly payments. It's easier to make extra payments on a lower monthly payment, which should in turn lower the length of the mortgage payment. Again, why doesn't anyone talk about this? So the reason that no one ever talks about mortgage recasting, which mortgage companies wish more people would talk about, is that when people prepay principal on a mortgage, they're doing so usually with the motivation to reduce the length of the loan. Now, there are people who get a bonus from work or whatever, and they're worried they'll just blow the money. So they throw it in towards the mortgage, and their mortgage payment, as you said, stays the same. But many lenders will allow you at no cost to recast. And all that means is your balance on your loans now lower, and they re-amortize it to give you a lower payment, but the same length of loan. Most same pe- rate. Same rate. Everything stays the same. The you know If you have 24 years left and you make a prepayment on your loan and you recast it, you stay with 24 years left, but your monthly payment goes down. Everything else stays the same. Now, what's in it for the lender is they want you to stay in that loan as long as possible so they can get more interest, which is why lenders are so often not just willing to do recasting, they're thrilled you called and asked the question. Occasionally, there'll be a lender who doesn't want to do it. But as a general rule, if this is something you want to do, you can ask and they'll do it. Now, coming up, could have knocked me over with a feather when I read a report about the dangers of using self-checkout. That sounds like a joke, right? But it's no joking matter, which I'll share with you coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are certain people who have become significant influencers online in all different fields. It's not just people who are TikTokers pitching some new hair product or something. I mean, there's a variety of things going on where people develop followings in areas of expertise you wouldn't expect. Carrie Jernigan is a lawyer who's been incredibly adept at social media and on TikTok has 
over a million followers, which is pretty impressive. And she has put out a warning that I've not seen anywhere else, but it was so disturbing that I've like a fish hook and mouth. I'm going ahead and sharing it with you. And she wants you to know that there are dangers to using self-checkout at major retailers. All the major retailers are pushing self-checkout. In fact, I was in recently one of the new Walmart prototypes of the future that when you walk to the front, as best you'd know, the only way to get out of the store is self-checkout. It's a very well-thought-out self-checkout operation where lines pretty much are eliminated. And I tend to use apps as much as I can. And I've talked in the past about how much I love the Sam's Club app, where Sam's Club has lines that seem like they're a government agency. It takes so long to check out in Sam's. But with the app, you can ring your own items up, pay, pops up a uh, one of those bullseye codes, QR codes. You go to the door and they check you and they scan certain items, decide you're okay, and you leave. Incredible time saver. And the other thing is there's a great price checker, too. I'm able to see they may have this price on the shelf, and then it comes up different price, hopefully lower, but could come up higher. It's like, oh, wait a minute. That's not what it says there. Anyway, what Carrie's talking about is you do self-checkout in a store, and she's not talking about me using an app. She's talking about using the self-checkout scanners. Look above your head. Look how many cameras there are watching you. There's a camera right in front of you, and they show you, hey, you're on candid camera. We're watching you right here while you're ringing up. So her claim is that people are being charged with theft who are being accused either improperly of not having scanned an item they scanned or they inadvertently thought something had been scanned. They put it in the side, they put it in their bag, and then later they get a notice that they're being, you know, a warrant's been sworn out for their arrest or they're being hit with a civil action to avoid prosecution because they shoplifted from the big box stores. And what she points out is there are criminal theft rings that are using self-checkout as a way to steal valuable merchandise from stores. But there are also innocents who just inadvertently an item didn't ring or whatever, and then the store comes on them to eat them alive. So this did not change my practice of doing self-checkout. But what I do is when I scan an item, I then look on the screen and make sure that item is there. And I do that item by item. And before I go, I'd follow the Costco rule. You know how you look at a Costco receipt, it says how many items you bought. And then at the door, that's on the receipt and that person at the door they're checking okay 12 items and they're counting the number of items you have in your cart 
And then they'll look, they'll see something expensive in your cart and they'll look, make sure it's there. And then you're free to go. They do that mark on there. And if you have a kid with you, they draw a happy face. You go out the door. I'm doing that equivalent when I'm doing self-checkout now. I'm counting. I don't do this in the supermarket because this kind of theft is really more general merchandise. You're at Target, you're at Walmart, something like that. I'm counting my items before I leave to make sure that the number of items on the receipt is the same as the number of items that I'm walking out the door with so that I'm not later accused. And you can't prevent every eventuality and don't know how much the retailers are hitting people with a sledgehammer who make an innocent mistake versus being smart about this because the stores want us to use self-checkout And then they end up coming after us criminally or civilly. Oh, man, that's crazy. So hopefully this is a fluke and not a pattern. But the way I'm dealing with it is a new level of paranoia, making sure that the number of items I ring up is the number I leave the place with. Krista? Okay, this is from Tim in California. Brace yourself. I don't think you're going to like this very much. You mentioned that you've noticed how many stores now have deals on exercise equipment, TVs, and other electronics. And also, I thought I heard you say that you went to an Aldi store and noticed they had great deals on exercise equipment. If so, you are having a much different Aldi experience as the Aldi stores in California are horrible. They, the ones I've visited, are in less than desirable areas, and there is not that much savings to be found. I challenge you to visit an Aldi in one of these neighborhoods and not be frightened or find these fantastic deals you love so much. These stores, Aldi, are typically run down and just awful. Wow. Um, Tim, I feel terrible that the Aldis you've been to have been so awful. There are bad Aldis. You know, they'll be in a rough neighborhood. They'll be run down. Um, but he may, may not be, be talking about normal well. Aldis. Like some people don't like the feel of an Aldi period, you know? Yeah, but you know, my daughter lives in Southern California. I'll go to the Aldi in Alhambra uh, for people from Southern California. I'll go to the one uh, in Glendale. They're both very nice Aldis. I, they're merchandised well. I feel completely safe there. And I do find the prices are great. I know Aldi's a very polarizing store that people, a lot of people will go in an Aldi. And I remember I was giving a speech in Raleigh, North Carolina, and somebody was complaining about my love of Aldi. And I said, well, how many people have been in an Aldi? And almost every hand went up, which was more than I expected. I said, how many people hate Aldi? And about half the hands went up. So it is, there's something about it that is very very polarizing and i just happen to love it and what's great is we got so much choice tim i mean aldi's not working for you uh check out other ways to save money and there there are more and more now in california of the discounters from elsewhere that have come in like for example tim i don't know if you've ever been in a winco foods but Winco Foods, which I think is from Idaho, has opened a number of locations in California. And I think they're a great place to shop and save money for groceries. 
This is from Dan in Massachusetts. Hi, Clark. Are life insurance viaticals still a thing? I haven't heard them talked about in quite a while. I occasionally hear messages from companies that purchase structured settlements, but no one seems to promote the option of selling life insurance policies for people in need of cash. Yeah, Dan, viaticals used to be something we heard about constantly. And there'd be a lot of ads for them. And that doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. So the alternative, if you do need money from a life insurance policy in the insurance industry with policies in more recent years, has made it easier for you instead of selling a policy to borrow from theirs at a decent rate. And you'll get typically more cash doing that and you'll have more flexibility if you borrow from the policy, then if you do, in fact, assign its value to someone else, what happens is somebody else takes over your policy, they pay the premiums on it, and they hope you die like the next day, and they get the full payoff from it. Now, also, a number of insurers now, if you are in a situation where you have a medical condition that might lead to your passing away in a period of time, will do the equivalent of a viatical by paying off your life insurance policy early. You don't get the full value, obviously, but you'll get a decent value from them if, in fact, you do have a terminal illness, which I hope is not a factor for you. Eugene in California says, historically, I've only signed up for credit card bonuses with the major U.S. airlines, but with those miles being devalued more and more, I'm considering if I should start to try to accumulating miles on foreign airlines such as British Airways or Emirates. Can I even set up an account with them or do you just have to use U.S. airline points through partner systems? I'd love to hear Clark's thoughts on the best strategy for accumulating and using points to travel business or first class to Europe. Yeah, so I want you to start following a website called The Points Guy, which will help you a lot in figuring this out. But yes, you can have an account with British or anybody. Um, I have a British Airways account, and I've actually noticed they're doing the same devaluation of their rewards as U.S. airlines. That This is a thing in the airline industry. Singapore Air which is considered to be the world's best airline, recently did a devaluation of its mileage awards. What this means is you now need more points to redeem for something than you did before. Um, and so... Inflation? Yeah, this inflation. is their version yeah. of inflation. So you're not going to find that going outside the United States is necessarily going to get you a better deal. But you follow somebody like the points guy... And you'll find all kinds of ways to redeem through other programs, join other programs. Like there was one recently, it was funny, it was about how if you join Avianca's program and you get points on Avianca, you can take those points and transfer them to use on another airline and get this reward for one third the number of miles it would cost if you went with that airline directly. That's the kind of thing you learn to do is to play the mileage game. There's also credit cards that are just travel cards, like the Chase Sapphire, some that you can use on all different airlines. Yeah, so both American Express and Chase have specialized in having these partnerships. Now, Capital One Venture X has a program where you can use the points on multiple airlines. The redeeming rate, though, 
doesn't seem that great on the Capital One thing, but people have been very happy with the uh, Chase Sapphire Reserve. Is mm-hmm. that the, the word reserve? The one with the huge yes. annual fee. Yep, I've got and that then one. The Ameri- You've got that one. But it pays back for itself because you get a $300 you got annual a travel, travel okay. credit. Yeah, right, let me say definitely- this. Using the American Express Platinum program or the Chase Sapphire Reserve, you've got to be somebody who travels a good amount and charges a good amount to make these cards with the very high annual fees really work for you. But yes, that is a good alternative to use these cards. And I want to tell you, I appreciate so much you listening to this podcast. I hope you'll share something that you've learned here with your friends, with your family. Make a difference, not just in your own life, but be there to be help to someone else who you feel could benefit. It's hard to know, though, when to open your mouth when somebody's doing something with their money. You know, well, that's probably not the best idea. It's hard to know when to open your mouth and when just to keep it zipped. You'll have to use your own judgment on that. <laughs>